Good day. Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Room First Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Thank you. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Mr. Alan Miller, Investor Relations Officer. The floor is yours. Thank you, Alex. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on Broom's first quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Joining us on the call today are Paul Hennessy, Chief Executive Officer, and Dave Jones, Chief Financial Officer. Please note that this call will be simultaneously webcast on the Investor Relations section of the company's corporate website at ir.room.com. The first quarter earnings release is also posted on the IR website. Before we begin, please note that the discussion today includes forward-looking statements within the, meanings, within the meaning of the federal securities laws, including but not limited to statements about Room's operations and future financial performance. These and other forward-looking statements are subject to a number of risks, uncertainties, and other important factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from those in such statements. We direct you to the company's most recent SEC filings, including the risk factor section of Room's most recent Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2020, as updated by our uh, quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the three months ended March 31, 2021, for additional discussion of factors that can cause actual results to differ materially from those in the forward-looking statements. Please note for, further that today's discussion, uh, including the forward-looking statements, speak only as of the date of this call, and Room assumes no obligation to update such statements based upon future developments or otherwise. The company may also discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures during today's call. You can find a presentation of the most directly comparable gap measures in reconciliation of those measures in today's press release. And with that, I'll kick it over to Paul. Paul? Thanks, Alan. And thanks, everyone, for joining Broom's first quarter 2021 earnings call. I'd like to start by thanking all of our employees, investors, and board members for all of their hard work and support in building a great customer-centric public company. Broom executed well in the first quarter. Our e-commerce units exceeded our expectations and were up 96% year-over-year. Our e-commerce gross profit also exceeded our expectations and was up 123% year-over-year. But executing well means not only delivering great growth in units and gross profit, it also means strong execution across our four key pillars of demand and marketing, supply and reconditioning, logistics, and sales and sales operations. By focusing on these four key pillars, we're building a strong foundation for sustainable scale. From a demand and marketing perspective, we continue to be enthusiastic about the level of demand that exists in the marketplace, as well as our ability to generate demand for our business model. Demand for both buying cars from Broom and selling cars to Broom remains high. We are building a nationwide brand that is increasingly known for buying and selling used vehicles and we're pleased at our continued upward trend in brand awareness. We're confident that as increased demand flows into our business, we are well positioned to convert that demand, as evidenced by our growth in Q1 and guidance for accelerating growth in Q2. 
From a supply and reconditioning perspective, I'm also pleased with our performance. We believe our current inventory level is sized appropriately and is healthy for the market. We not only generated e-commerce gross profit per unit beyond our expectations in Q1, we also see continued improvement in our unit economics going into Q2. We are currently experiencing unprecedented market conditions, caused in part by shortage of microchips and delays in new car manufacturing, which increases demand for used vehicles, putting downward pressure on supply and upward pressure on pricing. In this market, we're particularly pleased to be in a position to integrate and leverage the data and data science teams at CarStory, along with its AI-powered analytics. As used vehicle supply is constrained and wholesale pricing is high in traditional channels, we're very well positioned to acquire vehicles from consumers, and I'm bullish on our trajectory for consumer sourcing. Over the past three quarters, we've experienced strong sequential improvement in acquiring inventory from consumers, increasing as a percentage of retail sales from 31% in Q3 of 2020 to 41% in Q4 of 2020, to 54% in Q1 of 2021. While historically, Broom has always had a strong mix of vehicles acquired from consumers, we are demonstrating that we have executed well in scaling our consumer acquisitions platform. Supply will continue to be a focus and area of investment for Broom, particularly given the uncertainty over the duration of the current supply and pricing market. We continue to increase both the number of our reconditioning facilities and our overall capacity. In Q1, we added five third-party reconditioning facilities for a total of 24 and expanded our capacity at many of our existing facilities. Our hybrid asset light approach to reconditioning continues to provide us with capacity and agility. We believe that we are well positioned to not only handle our projected 2021 volume, but are also scaling our capacity to handle sales growth and volume in advance of needing it for 2022. I'm pleased with all of the improvements we've made in terms of capacity, quality, and cost, and we'll continue to invest to build scaled capacity. With regard to logistics, we executed well in our rollout of last mile locations. In Q1, we added 10 locations and delivered over 16% of e-commerce units via our last mile service. We remain on track to achieve our goal of delivering a run rate of 50% of our e-commerce units via our last mile service by year end. It's rewarding for our customers and our company to see our brand displayed nationally on television in places like the Super Bowl, but it's even more rewarding when we see our brand displayed locally on trucks, delivering customers a great vehicle and a great driveway experience. We've mentioned our investments in sales and sales support operations, which include investments in people, process, and tech. We're continuing to invest in people to mitigate bottlenecks, in our processes to remove friction and increase sales flow, and in technology to automate, improve customer experience, and drive conversion. We executed well across all three of these areas in Q1. We hired, trained, and coached hundreds of new people. We streamlined our processes and expanded our sales capacity, and we deployed technology to reduce manual efforts and drive customer experience. But we still have more to do. I'm pleased with our current improvements, but not yet satisfied. We will continue to invest in sales and sales operations, 
for the foreseeable future. I'm appreciative of all of the outstanding work from our, our employees and our valued third-party partners who enable us to execute well across our platform. In short, we are experiencing strong demand, record e-commerce sales, improving inventory health and unit economics, increasing reconditioning capacity, expanded last-mile deliveries, growing sales and sales support resources. We are well positioned to, to deliver triple-digit e-commerce unit growth and over 200% aggregate gross profit growth in 2021. And with that, I'll hand over to Dave for further remarks on our financials and our guidance. Dave? Thanks, Paul. We reached a new record in e-commerce units this quarter with over 15,500 units delivering 41% sequential acceleration and 96% year-over-year growth. Our unit growth was driven by robust consumer demand and improved inventory position and positive response to our increased marketing. We had over 11,000 listed vehicles at the end of the quarter, with 35% of those available for immediate sale. Our inventory is in a much better position than it was in the fourth quarter. We feel good about driving inventory efficiency in the quarter, and we're now increasing our inventory buys to continue to meet demand. As Paul mentioned, during the quarter, we purchased 54% of the vehicles we retailed from consumers. This was up from 31% in Q3 of 20 and 41% in Q4 of 2020. Our days to sale expanded from 77 last quarter to 83 this quarter due to a few factors. First, we continued to work on the Q4 bottlenecks, and we continued to move this Q4 aged inventory through the system during this quarter. In addition, the ramping of consumer purchases added some time to the acquisition process, but we're making improvements as we scale. Importantly, each of the months in the quarter saw sequential improvements in days to sale, and we expect continued improvement in Q2. As a reminder, we currently target 60 to 70 days to sale. In Q2, we expect 17,500 to 18,000 e-commerce units sold, implying over 160% year-over-year growth at the midpoint of that guidance. We anticipate about 15% sequential growth in units as we grow reconditioning capacity to meet consumer demand while remaining nimble to adjust to a dynamic environment. Our reconditioning capacity continues to build. As Paul said, we added five new third-party VRCs in the quarter, bringing us to 24 total VRCs compared to 19 at the end of 2020. At the end of Q1, we had capacity of about 2,300 units per week, implying about 120,000 unit capacity annually. We believe we're tracking well against our 2021 target of 25 to 30 VRCs, which would enable us to reach over 50% of U.S. households within 100 miles of one of our VRCs. E-commerce revenue grew 81% year-over-year and 48% sequentially in the first quarter to over $422 million. E-commerce gross profit per unit was $2,054 in the first quarter of 2021, demonstrating 14% year-over-year growth and 13% sequential improvement. Within e-commerce gross profit per unit, our vehicle gross profit 
in, uh, improved due to further reconditioning cost improvements and a decline in inventory reserve balances compared to the prior year quarter, which was affected by higher than normal inventory reserves at the onset of the pandemic. Total gross profit was ahead of our expectations at $36 million, up 97% year over year and 80% sequentially. We expect average e-commerce gross profit per unit in the range of $2,500 to $2,600 in the second quarter, which at the midpoint would imply over 24% sequential growth from Q1. We have good line of sight into our unit profitability in Q2 and expect ongoing tailwinds from the favorable demand environment, as well as our previously mentioned profitability drivers. Wholesale units increased 84% year over year and 24% sequentially to 8,641 units. Wholesale loss per unit of $33 improved significantly from $420 in the fourth quarter of last year as the wholesale market was very strong in Q1. Looking ahead to the second quarter, we expect wholesale units of 7,500 to 8,000 and gross profit per unit of $800 to $900, as we believe the wholesale market will continue to be strong through Q2. Looking at TDA, units were flat sequentially as our e-commerce business continues to demand fast-turning inventory. We expect inventory for TDA to continue to be lean in the near term as we focus on scaling our e-commerce operations in a competitive inventory buying environment. However, in the long term, we remain committed to building a dedicated inventory for TDA to service the local demand. In the second quarter, we anticipate 1,400 to 1,500 TDA units and an average gross profit per unit of $2,000 to $2,100. So if we put it all together, we expect total revenue of $618 million to $640 million and total gross profit of $54 million to $59 million for Q2, implying over 56% sequential gross profit growth and over 600% growth from Q2 of last year, which was obviously affected by the pandemic. Moving on to operating expenses. First quarter operating expenses of $109 million represented about 18.5% of total revenue as our higher-than-expected revenue gave us some leverage. Our SG&A dollars grew as expected as we built the organization for scale. To be clear, we are intentionally, intentionally currently deploying human capital, which is less efficient from an OPEX point of view, as we provide for an enhanced customer experience and efficient sales processing times. While at the same time, we're investing in technology which will lead to operating leverage as we scale the business longer term. Breaking it down a little further, comp and benefits expense grew 40% sequentially to $39.9 million as we bolstered sales and sales support functions as well as engineering teams. As I mentioned, we've continued to prioritize building our customer support teams to help process ever-increasing vehicle unit volumes quickly. We continue to capitalize on our hybrid asset light model, leveraging outsourced parties as an additional resource. 
We have made substantial progress on the bottlenecks identified in Q4, but we are continuing to invest in our sales support functions to provide the exceptional customer experience that we want for all of our valued consumers. We know that over time, technology and automation are the solution to a frictionless customer experience, and we continue to make progress in that regard. Marketing expense was $29.6 million in the quarter, growing 65% year-over-year and 68% quarter-over-quarter. As a reminder, Q1 included the financial effect of our very well-received Super Bowl commercial. We are pleased with the response to our marketing strategies as average monthly unique website visitors has grown in lockstep with our marketing year over year. On a sequential basis, unique visitor growth accelerated significantly at 54% and year over year at 64%. Through the rest of the year, we expect marketing investments to remain higher than 2020 levels in dollar terms as we scale our business and drive increasing national brand awareness. Finally, our outbound logistics, logistics expense grew 46% sequentially, in line with e-commerce unit growth, and at a similar per cost, per unit cost to last quarter of almost $1,000. We expect a similar carrier environment in Q2. We continue to rapidly build out our proprietary logistics network. At the end of the quarter, we had 18 logistics hubs up and running, up from eight in Q4, and we delivered over 16% of our Q1 deliveries with our proprietary last mile service. Customer satisfaction with the experience is high, and we remain on track to build out 30 last mile hubs and obtain a run rate of 50% of our total deliveries with our proprietary last mile service by the end of the year. Our first line haul trucks and trailers are arriving this quarter, and we're busy planning the launch of our line haul operations. As mentioned last quarter, we think logistics CapEx will be up to approximately $10 million for the year. So overall, we expect 61 to $70 million of EBITDA loss in the second quarter, as we anticipate operating expenses at 19 to 20% of total revenue. We remain on track to deliver triple-digit e-commerce unit sales growth and more than 200% year-over-year growth in aggregate gross profit for 2021. Finally, touching on our balance sheet, we ended the first quarter with over $950 million of cash on the balance sheet and $162 million of availability on our floor plan facility. As always, we've provided comprehensive Q2 guidance in our earnings release. I'll now turn it back to the operator for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. Let us stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Rajat Gupta from J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. So great. Uh, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking the questions. Uh, I, I just had uh, you know a multi-part question on you know the, the e-commerce GPU. Um, you know, firstly, uh, could, could you help us bridge, you know, 
either, you know, sequentially or, you know, versus your initial guidance uh, versus what you reported, like what changed uh, during the last three to four weeks of March. Um, and, and then, you know, going from the first quarter to the second quarter, uh, could you help us unpack, you know, the drivers uh, of, the, of the sequential uptake, you know, like how much is seasonality, uh, you know, how much is just the inventory quality getting better or, you know, reconditioning efficiencies or, or customer sourcing mix, et cetera. Uh, and then just lastly, like what, what percentage of your inventory today is, would you say, is greater than 60 days old? Uh, and, and, how, and what was that number, you know, at the beginning of the year? Thanks. There we go. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I think when we look at e-commerce GPU, you know, the, the, the big story there is, um, is sales margin, right? It's a, it's a great environment. Uh, I think that, when, you know, when we look at the skill set that we have now with the car story acquisition and obviously our, you know, internal um, data teams and, and data analysts, we, we feel like we've got a lot of horsepower behind um, acquiring vehicles. Uh, obviously, in the first quarter, you know, we did a really good job acquiring vehicles from consumers at 54%. So I think, you know, there isn't one thing in particular that I would, I would point to in the quarter. I think, you know, we continued um, uh, solid product gross profit uh, per unit. And so I guess, you know, w where we saw the most upside um, from guidance was, was probably in sales margin as it was, you know, a, a good quarter and we continued to acquire vehicles um, well. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about Q1 going into Q2, uh, it, it's similar. We, you know, in terms of if we break it down between uh, vehicle gross profit per unit and product gross profit per unit, you know, we continue to, to make progress in our uh, efforts to reduce reconditioning costs. Um, we continue to build out the network um, which, you know, as you know, naturally reduces our inbound miles, so helps, helps us with inbound costs. Um, and, you know, and, and obviously, you know, sales margin is we continue to get better and better at acquiring vehicles. We continue to acquire uh, more vehicles from consumers. So, and, and then on the product side, uh, you know, we continue to implement our initiatives and, you know, we expect to have stability in, in product gross profit per unit going forward. And um, so I think when you put all those things together, it's, you know, what allows us to now uh, raise our target for Q2 to the, the $2,500 to $2,600 of gross profit per unit that we're guiding to. Um, in terms of inventory, like we said, you know, you know we're, we're much healthier than we were. We had an objective um, in the quarter to, to work our way through uh, the problem inventory that we had. Um, we are now, we, we feel like we've got very healthy inventory, which means, you know, we've got a good mix uh, of aging across the board, and we don't have any concerns at this point about, about aged inventory. Um, so hopefully that helps you understand. Got it. Just to follow up, you know, on, on you know the the, the the you know just the pricing moves you've seen, uh, you know, particularly on the wholesale side, uh, you know, you obviously you know done a great job improving you know the customer source mix, but you still, I mean, there's still like a good 45% of your inventory that's you know that comes from auction or wholesale. Um, so with, with this kind of move that we have seen in wholesale pricing. 
do, do you think you can pass through all of that into retail or, or do you, I mean, or have you baked in, I mean, what, what happens like if retail pricing may not catch up, you know, like later in the quarter? Is that kind of like considered in the guidance or, or are you assuming that you're able to make up that spread uh, at some point in the quarter? Uh, thanks. Yeah, so any consideration of that, you're right, would be in the guidance. Um, the way we think about it, though, is obviously inventory management and turn. Um, I, th there's no reason to believe that there's going to be a dramatic change in, in retail pricing. Um, so I think, look, we're, we're in the business of buying vehicles and selling vehicles. I think if we can uh, hit our turn targets and do that efficiently, um, there shouldn't there shouldn't be any undue risk in in the current inventory. Great, thanks. Uh, I'll pass it on, and then uh, thanks thanks for thanks for taking the question. Thanks, Richard. Your next question comes from the line of Zach Asiedem from Wells Fargo. Your line is now open. Hey, good afternoon. So with the rollout of concierge delivery in, in markets like L.A. and Chicago, can you talk about expected impact to, to customer conversion and satisfaction? And as in-house delivery works its way to 50%, what improvements do you anticipate to things like days to sell and, and GPU as well as lower logistics costs? Yeah, you know, I'll take that, uh, Zach. I, I think first and foremost, you know, we're we're getting good control over our logistics network because it just fundamentally allows us to deliver a better experience uh, to our customers. Full stop. And so that that that's the the strategy and our uh, and our reason for getting to to fifty percent. And then and then that satisfaction uh ultimately leads to um to better NPS and we believe over time um better better conversion and lower cost per acquisition over time because customers have a great experience and they talk about it and they come back. And so that's all you know the the strategic thinking behind um the the logistics you know network broadly. Uh, in, in terms of, of cost per acquisition, or I should say a cost of running the logistics network, uh, as we deploy closer and closer to customers, as Dave mentioned in, in his script, as we add more of our facilities in close proximity to customers, and as we remove network miles, uh, you know, as we deliver both inbound and outbound, uh, the cost structure improves. And and that's how we think about it, and that's why we're we're pursuing that. So fundamentally, you get a, a better customer experience, you get a better a unit economic uh, benefit for for the company, and then and then we believe uh, that you get better cost of acquisition and better conversion because you're delivering an outstanding service. Got it. And then with the two hundred percent. Uh, gross profit growth still on the table uh, for the year. And I think you actually said at least 200% gross profit growth. Is this more a continuation of the upward trends you're seeing in Q2, or do you see incremental second-half benefits from things like customer sourcing, days to sell? You, you called out uh, reconditioning. I, I'm curious if you could talk about the drivers there, and then any other internal external dynamics we should keep in mind. Yeah, we, we don't we don't give out the the underlying pieces, but what what I'll what I will tell you is uh, we have a 
Um, you know, we have a good trend that we, you know, we saw in Q1. That trend continued into Q2. Our, our uh, acceleration of e-commerce unit growth uh, is, is up and to the right. And so the, the number that we forecasted in our, uh, in our fourth quarter earnings call and now in our first quarter uh, earnings call, those numbers are the same, triple-digit growth in, in e-commerce and 200% in aggregate gross profit dollars. That's what we believe is going to happen because that's what our, our models are telling us as we, as we, you know, execute on all of the areas of our business from, uh, you know, all the pillars that I mentioned on the marketing side, uh, certainly on the uh, acquisition side of, of vehicles. Consumers obviously plays a large uh, role in that. Uh, good reconditioning execution as well as scaling, and then the same on logistics. So it's, it's all of the contributing factors, and, and I'll add in, and the sales ops that I mentioned in my opening remarks, as we invest in sales operations, again, the, the, the business can process greater scale, and that's why we feel good about the guidance that we've given. Appreciate the time today. Yep, sure. Next question is from Alex Potter from Piper Sandler. Your line is now open. Great. Uh, thanks. Um, so the first question was, you, you mentioned these sort of four areas of execution that you're focused on, and, and the fourth one is that sales and operations uh, step, which in recent quarters has been sort of the bottleneck for you. So I'm, I'm interested. It sounds like you're making some progress there. What inning would you say you're in in terms of getting that issue completely addressed? And as an external analyst looking at a specific metric to gauge your progress there? I mean, would it primarily be manifesting itself in GPU, in, you know, uh, days sales and inventory, or or what? Yeah, it's I can't point to one because it's quite literally, you know, we use the word bottleneck. It, uh, it, it, it blocks both sales flow. When you block sales flow, uh, inventory can age, customer experience can decline, uh, cancellations can increase. So it, Im- improving that uh, lifts all boats, if you will. There's not a single metric. In terms of the inning answer, you know, in, in my opening remarks, I said, look, we've, we've made improvements. You see it in our sales velocity, uh, but we're not satisfied. Uh, and the, the commitment to an outstanding customer experience an end-to-end e-commerce platform experience, there's no finish line on that. So we are, we're, we're, you know, very committed to getting it right for the, for the customers and we're making good progress. So I, I think what I say is we, we believe we're in a, in a good spot with room for improvement. Okay, great. And then one more on, on logistics. Um, you know, doing more and more in-house. I hear you on the 50% target. Um, assuming everything goes well, this gives you, you know, more control both on the cost side, on the logistics cost side, as you mentioned, but also on the customer experience side, conversion. It, everything is better, you know, in, in, in theory, assuming all goes well. Is there any reason to think that, um, assuming it does play out that way, you would necessarily want to stop at 50% rather than gunning eventually for 100. Thanks. Yeah, we're not slamming on the brakes. We're just giving guidance as far out as we could see on that. 
And uh, okay. we believe that giving giving our customers an outstanding driveway experience, that that number will will likely go north in 2022, and when appropriate, will uh, will kind of give some insight and guidance to that. But we're just, as you can tell by by our you know first quarter uh, location ads, we're just we're just starting to to jog uh, on that front. Okay, perfect. Thanks, guys. Next question is from Sharon Zaxia from William Bear. Blair, your line is now open. Hi, good afternoon. I guess to follow up on the logistics question, I mean, obviously um, you've had some, as everyone has had, some stress in the system from a third-party network standpoint over the past few quarters, and now you've got the the internal initiatives. Over time, you know, where do you think you can drive logistics per car? I mean, if I look back a few years ago, it was, you know, sub $300. Is that a level that you can see again in the next, um, you know, five, ten years? Or is there something that will be sustainably elevated now with your own network coming into play? Yeah, hey, Sharon. Um, Thanks for the question. I think you know we we obviously we're, we you know we don't give guidance that far out. Um, we think we can get leverage in logistics um, with the model that we have today. Uh, we, you know we literally just started uh, in the past few months, and you know I've I've personally been amazed at uh, how well the team is is rolling it out. So congratulations to them. Um, look, I think it's. You know, the, the key components are, are really customer experience, control over the experience, um, and, and that's what we're after. Um, but, we, I, you know, I definitely do think that there's leverage over time. Uh, we'll, we'll give guidance on that, you know, as we get to quarters where we think we'll, we'll see some of that leverage. Um, but obviously, it, you know, to get any leverage, it needs, it needs some scale. Uh, and so we're at, you know, 16% at the end of the quarter on our way to 50. We'll, we'll have a much clearer view of that as we, as we move through the months here. Thanks for that. And if I could follow up with a, a finance question within the, um, the expectation for that 200% increase or more than that in gross profit, are there embedded expectations that GPU on the finance side kind of go up as the year progresses? And, and can you talk about what caused kind of the bit of pressure that you saw in the first quarter year over year? Yeah, so um, we, yeah, we, you know, we, in the guidance, we don't, we don't break out the, the product versus uh, vehicle. I would say, you know, we, we've talked a lot about initiatives that we have around product, obviously. I, I think we've, you know, the team has done a great job uh, improving attachment rates. We've seen um, you know, very consistent improvement in attachment rates over the past couple of quarters, which is great. Um, I think that, you know, the variability that we saw this quarter uh, is, is a couple of percentage, a few percentage points, so not significant. Um, there's a lot that goes into product gross profit per unit. You know, we've got, uh, we've got chargebacks, we've got profit sharing, there's, you know, estimates on reserves. That, so there's quite a bit that goes in there. Um, and, and then you've got attachment rates and individual product pricing and mix. And so it, it, I think that we have seen and will continue to see an ascending product gross profit per unit. Uh, and, and there'll be some variability uh, along the way, but it, it shouldn't be significant. 
Um, so that's, that's how we think about it. That's great color. Thank you. Thanks, Sharon. Next question is from Ron Hosey from JMP Securities. Your line is now open. Hi, guys. This is Andrew Benoit for Ron. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, I wanted to kind of click into marketing. Can you talk about your learnings from the Super Bowl ad and just with your plans to increase brand investments? Um, are, are you seeing the type of calls into your call centers change? In other words, are you moving from more of kind of a, a transactional kind of component versus kind of what was historically more educational? Um, and then I have a follow-up. Yeah, we don't. We didn't give out uh, specific details about you know the performance of the of the Super Bowl, but but you know I think we said we were we're pleased. And and when I think about composition, direct traffic that comes uh, you know seeking the Vroom brand typically converts significantly higher when customers are saying, hey, I, I know what Vroom offers, and I'm I'm seeking to get that service. And so conversion is just fundamentally higher versus when they might see one of our cars listed on, uh, you know, on a performance marketing channel or on a third-party listing site or something like that, where they're they're looking for the car, not necessarily the service. So we we continue uh, to you know to spend on brand. We we will for the foreseeable future build a a super brand so that customers understand exactly what we're offering, both on the buy side and on the sell side, uh, so that customers can transact with us. And when they and when they come, for, you know, after seeing the brand, they just convert way better. So, yeah, that's how that's how we think about it. And so we'll we'll look for those opportunities to to showcase the brand and explain exactly what we have to offer. That makes sense. And then just on the consumer source vehicle, um, just the consistent step up over the last couple quarters, can, can you guys just kind of double-click into that and kind of help us understand the drivers there? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, we we don't give away the whole playbook, but what I can tell you is that um, we're skilled marketers and we've built a really good good technology platform, a data-driven technology platform that converts the customers that come in from from the strong marketing. So when you when you fire on kind of all cylinders that way, you know, give customers uh, the right price, you know, a good price for their vehicle, uh, and and because we're making them aware that Broom is a great place to go do that, uh, we we get a lot of appraisals and therefore a lot of uh, transactions, and that's why you see the you know the ascending uh, move as we as we increase our our consumer acquisitions uh, platform. So we're just, the, the truth is we're just executing really well there. Fair enough. Thank you. Next question is from Seth Basham from WebBoost Securities. Your line is now open. Thanks a lot. Good afternoon. Uh, my first question is just uh, clicking in on the, Sales margin strength in the first quarter that drove the upside to your gross profit uh, e-commerce expectations. How much of that was from strong retail market pricing above your expectations in March relative to better acquisition costs than you anticipated? Thanks, Seth. Um, yeah, I think it's a tough question, right? Because it's 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 uh, it's the difference between the two. So. Um, Look, I guess what I would say is 
um, you know, we, we had obviously, with the guidance that we gave coming out of Q4 for the, for the full year uh, view, um, you know, which was, was triple-digit units and, and 200% or more in aggregate gross profit, you know, we, we had planned, obviously, on improvements across the board in vehicle gross profit and product gross profit. And what I would say is now through, you know, the, the first quarter, We've obviously started to execute on those well. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, a, it's obviously a good market for all uh, automotive retailers um, today. But, it, but it's difficult to say, you know, how much of it is, is this great market, which, you know, by the way, we didn't necessarily know how good it was um, when, when we gave that guidance originally. So I think, you know, we're pretty happy that we've been executing on the plan and, and you know, we, we think we can continue to do that. Um, and that's obviously reflected in the Q2 guidance where, you know, we've got uh, further step-ups in terms of gross profit per unit. Um, and, and so, you know, we'll, we'll just get to work executing on that uh, as we do every day. Got it. Helpful, Carl. Uh, obviously, strong Q2 guidance. You didn't officially raise your full-year guidance. Obviously, it's open-ended at the top. Uh, and should we be thinking about something a little bit better than you guys were forecasting uh, just uh, in early March? You know, I, I think, think you should be thinking. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I was just say I, just, I think you should be thinking about it exactly as we have articulated this. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And then lastly, just thinking about some of the operational challenges you guys faced uh, last fall and into the winter, uh, particularly as race to sales and sales support and extend delivery times. Could you give us an update on whether or not you've been able to reduce average delivery times and improve net promoter scores over the course of the past six months? Yeah, we I mean we don't we don't share those numbers uh, specifically, but but you you can imagine it, when you create a bottleneck and it causes all of the 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 you know downstream problems with with inventory, with delivery, with customer experience, and then you start to remove those bottlenecks, fundamentally we believe that the, the system improves. And, again, you, you see that in both the sales velocity and the unit economics in the performance of Q1 and the guidance of Q2. So, you know, we, we believe that that's headed in the right direction. Wonderful. Thank you very much, and good luck. Yep. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Edward Yerumo from KeyBank Capital. Your line is now open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. I guess first, um, now that you've had some time under your belt with Car Story, just trying to understand kind of how it's, uh, how it's changed uh, now that you have it in-house versus being a customer of theirs. Were you able to kind of also keep some of your external customers? And then as it relates to customer service, I know you guys indicated you made some real progress behind it, but we'll continue to invest against it. I guess when should we assume that you start to get kind of to a more normalized customer service level versus where you were last quarter? Thank you. Yeah, on the uh on, on the car story integration, you know, we we uh officially closed the deal in in, in early January and you know uh got got to work on on integration. So what I'd say it's it's early days but uh, outlook outlook is great and 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 performance in the immediate term has been has been strong. Uh, again, I I won't get into the, the 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 playbook of of what we do or how we do it. 
but but we're we're very pleased with the results and 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 I think there's a question on on their existing uh uh client list and we we continue to um maintain and grow their their client list as you would expect so uh yeah we're as i as i mentioned we're very pleased especially in a time of you know unprecedented kind of um market conditions we're we're glad to to have now the combined team of really, really strong data folks. Um, as far as the customer experience, again, we, we work on that every day and there is no, no finish line. So, you know, speed is in our DNA and the faster we can get customers their transaction completed, uh, the faster we can get their car picked up, the faster we can get their new car delivered to them, those are all drivers of positive customer experience and we're working hard at that. And again, I, as I said, we're, we're making really strong improvements in that and, and still have a, a long way to go. So, uh, there's not a, there's not a date when we'll call that behind us because we'll always be wanting to be go faster and better. Thank you. Yep. Sure. Next question is from John Colantoni from Jeffries. Your line is now open. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, so uh, first, I, uh, I know you're still guiding to triple-digit growth in e-com unit units for the full year, uh, but I was curious if it makes sense to think about growth on a two-year stacked basis for the remaining quarters. And um, in other words, should we expect to see unit growth in the back half that's above the first quarter rate given easier comparisons? And uh, I have a follow-up. Hey, thanks, John. Um, yeah, you know, look, we, we guide uh, one quarter at a time. I think what, what I would say is, you know, you, you now have uh, Q1 actual and Q2 guidance, um, so you've got half the year. And, and so I think if you, you know, if you just make – you guys are obviously going to make assumptions on, on how to extrapolate that. Um, but I don't. I don't think it shouldn't be too difficult to to see a path forward to you know the, the triple digit number. Um, as you can imagine, you know we just don't want to give guidance past Q2. Okay, um, and um, just a quick one. You know you provided Q1 guidance with more than two months of the quarter already complete. So I'm just curious what caused the trajectory of e-com unit growth to inflect so much in the last few weeks of the quarter? Um, you know, was this a function of being conservative or there, was there some other dynamic going on? And uh, assuming the last month was uh, better than expected, are you seeing continued improvements in e-com unit growth so far in, Q in Q2? Maybe you could just talk about the trajectory there. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we always try to be transparent and, um, you know, logical in the guidance that we give. Um, I think what you saw in the industry has been an accelerating rate of growth in the retail market. Um, so I think, you know, there was, there was some, there was more growth than we had obviously expected. Um, you know, I think what you can expect from us in terms of guidance is, you know, we, we, we give you a range and we expect to hit that range and, uh, and, you know, that's really as simply as we think about it. Um, uh, so hopefully that answers the question. Thanks so much. 
Your next question comes from the line of Nick Bacchus from Raymond James. Your line is now open. Yeah, hey, guys, thanks for taking the question. Um, just on inventory availability, um, clearly there's there's a lot of um, tightness in the market, um, in the used market. Um, so how is that impacting your sourcing strategy currently, and is a tight supply an inhibitor of capacity at this point? Um, and then I had a follow-up question after that. Yeah, I, I guess here's the way we see it. Um, 15 consecutive uh, uh, weeks of ascending wholesale pricing and, uh, and, a, and a fundamental reduction um, in, in supply in traditional channels. And, uh, and by the way, unprecedented uh, demand for those vehicles uh, up to and including the rental car companies, historically large sellers of used cars, are now actually large buyers of used cars. So you've got this, you've got this, you know, massive uh, market situation that's that's unfamiliar, and that's why I think, you know, in in my opening remarks, I I, I said how great I feel about um, being able to buy cars from consumers at the rate that we're buying cars from consumers for all of those reasons. And, and there, yes, it's constrained and we think we're well positioned to deliver the, the, the second quarter that we've guided as well as the, the annual numbers that we've given. Uh, yeah, we, we, we believe we're, we're well positioned to execute. Got it. Um, and in terms of the customer source penetration, um, obviously that's, uh, that's continuing to go up. Um, at 54%, um, where, where do you think that can get you over time? Do you have a specific target there um, over time? And, and can you just remind us the um, incremental profitability on a customer source um, vehicle versus uh, one from, from auction or otherwise? Yeah. For, on the first question, we, we haven't planted some some number that we think is, you know, the right number, like, you know, 70% or 75%. We, we think it's smart to be able to leverage uh, buying cars from consumers. There, it's a large market. It's massively fragmented, and we're pretty good at it. So we're going to continue to drive that number as appropriate. And yet we'll be opportunistic. Uh, wherever we see the right car at the right price, um, we, we will buy those, those vehicles and, and make sure they're available for our, for our customers. So uh, broadly, that's, that's how we think about it. We're not, we're not setting a, um, we're not setting a target. As far as the unit economics, the way that I'll answer that is it, it, it broadly depends on the market, and we're in a strange market. Uh, typically, it's bounced between $500 and $1,000 in total value. That's an improvement of, of a car uh, purchased from a consumer versus a wholesale car. But again, that's with a massive asterisk of, you know, what are the, what are the broad market conditions at the time? Thanks very much. Sure. Your last question comes from the line of Navid Khan from Trist Securities. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks a lot. Just uh, a couple of questions. Um, so just curious to know um, how you plan to ramp up the units from the 5,000 that you have to uh, to get to the 
to midpoint of the unit sales that you have for second quarter do you think you are at the appropriate level or uh you need to ramp up significantly and then uh i had a follow up question on uh, on unit economics Sorry, I just wanted to make sure when you when you said uh, the five thousand units that we have, I, I just wanted to make sure I understood that that number. Yeah, is that, so I think you you, um, you gave out a readily available unit that's uh, available for sale, uh, and where do where do you think you need to be to uh, to get to the unit sale that you're targeting for uh, second quarter? Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, look, we've got the um, we're, we're lucky in that our inventory turns very quickly, right? So as you know, we've got the components of inventory on our website. Some of it is available immediately for someone to purchase. Uh, some of it is um, allocated to a, a customer already, and then you've got a bunch that's coming soon, and and that moves pretty rapidly um, each day. The the way um, what I would say though is yeah we're we're very comfortable with the level of inventory today and that's what allow you know allows us to give the guidance that we gave for Q2 so um, you know it, it it the the numbers work <laughs> got it and then maybe quickly on the uh, on the GPU the gross profit per unit on the e-commerce uh, unit uh, in Q1 uh, if I if I adjust both the fourth quarter and the first quarter for obsolescence um, uh, re- uh, reserve that you had in Q4 and the reversal you had in Q1, it looks like sequentially the vehicle GPU per unit actually went down. Uh, is that the right way to, to look at it, or am I missing something? just wanted to run it by you. Yeah, I mean, we don't break out the components of, of the unit economics, so... Um, you know, like I said, there was, there was more. We had to take more of an inventory reserve in in uh, uh, in the first quarter of last year because of the onset of the pandemic. So, you know, that that depressed the vehicle gross profit per e-commerce unit in the prior year. Um, and there was, you know, we obviously didn't have that in the current year. So that's one of the factors that go into it. Um, and that combined with you know some some efficiencies in reconditioning is is what gave us the improvement. Um, and and again, you know we're, we don't break out the, all of the components of unit economics. We just try and give you a sense as to to what what's driving it. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. If you don't have any more questions at this time, presenters, you may continue. Great. Well, thanks again to all our Broom employees uh, around the country for doing such an outstanding job and excellence in execution in the uh, in the first quarter. And thanks everyone for joining the call. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect.